I'm Les Chapman, Senior Minister of the Hendersonville Church of Christ, and we're glad that you're joining us today. I've got a couple of important announcements as we begin our lesson today. First of all, we're glad to announce that we're going to be uh, having services back at the building beginning next Sunday, July 5th. Now, we realize that the pandemic is still ongoing, and we've been praying and planning and preparing for how we can have worship successfully. Things will be different. First of all, we're changing our times to accommodate cleaning between services. The first service will be at 8 o'clock in the morning, and then our second service will be at 11 o'clock. Now, some of you have been joining us for our online Bible classes, and they're going to be moved to 930. And so people will have time to come to church and then go home and log online for Bible class or, or stay home, log online for Bible class, and then come to the 11 o'clock service. We realize that some people, especially those 64 and older, may want to continue to worship from home. And so we'll be live streaming the 8 o'clock service. And so if you're worshiping from home, join us at 8 o'clock. And so whether I see you in person or see you online, we look forward to worshiping with you next Sunday, July 5th. The second announcement is a happy birthday wish. Today is Brother Garland Briley's 97th birthday. Brother Garland is one of our deacons who has served this church in so many different ways over the years. And so we wanted to pause this morning and simply say to Brother Garland, happy birthday, and may God continue to bless you in his service. Some time ago, I came across a story that was so interesting. It was a story about a couple by the name of Dustin and Jennifer Sanders. Dustin is a preacher over in Arkansas. And he and his wife, Jennifer, had been trying to have a child for quite some time. In fact, they had asked their church to pray for them because of their struggle that they were going through. And then last fall, they were given the great news that Jennifer was expecting. And as with any couple expecting their first child, they were so excited about all the things that would happen over the next few months and they began to plan especially for the reveal party. Reveal parties are something that, of course, has been happening for the last 20, 30 years of where, you know, you get everybody together and you announce whether it's going to be a boy or a girl. Dustin and Jennifer had actually set it up so that some friends of theirs at church would actually find that out. They wouldn't even know until the day of the reveal party. And so everything was set up. And then the pandemic hit. And so they ended up having to have it online. And so they invited everybody to Facebook Live. And on that particular Saturday morning, they, you know, welcomed everyone. They got out their bottles with the corks in them. And they pulled the corks and out came confetti. And it was pink confetti. They were having a little girl. They then thanked everybody for coming and signed off and began to clean up when the phone rang. And so Dustin went to the phone, and it was the church secretary, and she simply asked a very simple question. Could you and Jennifer come out on the front porch? You see, even though they had had to cancel 
everybody getting together to celebrate this precious moment. The church still wanted to celebrate in more than just Facebook Live. So Dustin and Jennifer stepped out onto their front porch and to their surprise, you see, their friends had already told the entire church that it was going to be a little girl. And as they looked down the road, cars began to drive by their house. Families from church, having decorated their cars with all kinds of colors of pink, announcing the birth of a little girl, people honking their horns, rolling down the windows, yelling out congratulations. And one by one, the families of that church drove by to celebrate this very special day with Dustin and Jennifer. You know, people come up with all kinds of creative ways to make these birth announcements. About three years ago, we were expecting our first grandson. Kyle and his wife Andrea were expecting and we were excited and yet our excitement was tempered because our older son Rob and his wife Amy had also been trying to have a child but they like Dustin and Jennifer were having some difficulties. We were all getting together uh, for supper one night down at Jason's Deli in Cool Springs, one of our favorite places to eat and we were sitting at the table eating when our older son Rob turned to Kyle and said, didn't y'all have a doctor's appointment yesterday? Kyle said, yes, we did. And, and then Rob said, what was the baby's heart rate? And Kyle said, it was somewhere in the 140s. And then Rob, our older son, said something that just absolutely caught both June and me off guard. He said, yeah, ours was 152. We both just paused. June looked at me, I looked at her, and then June began to squeal because she got it before I did. You see, we weren't just simply going to be grandparents for the first time, but four months later, we would be grandparents the second time. You know, anytime you hear that a child or a grandchild is gonna be born, you get excited. But can I tell you that of all the birth announcements and reveal parties that the world has celebrated, especially over the last several years with all the creative ways that people have done it, none quite compares to the way our Heavenly Father revealed the birth of His Son. Our text today comes from Luke chapter 1, one of the birth announcement texts of the New Testament. And when God announces the birth of His Son, you know it's going to be excited. First of all, it involved an angel. Most everyone else's don't, even though we might call them angels. And of course, not only was God announcing the birth, he revealed that it would be a son, but more than that, he announced it before the conception had even occurred. Notice the angel as he speaks to Mary here in Luke 1, 31 and 32. You will conceive, again, hasn't even happened yet. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus, the name already picked out by God. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. Now, if you've been following along in our little booklet called His Story, you'll notice that the text today is actually eight verses. I want to apologize for that. For those who are memorizing the text, Eight verses is a little much. And, and so I've shortened it down. If you could just focus this week on Luke 1, 31 and 32, that'll be great. Again, I apologize 
for such a long text. But it is eight verses that tell this wonderful story of God announcing the birth of his son. Now, in these verses, I think, are three very powerful lessons. The first one has to do with one of the things we've been doing for the last seven weeks. You know, for the last two months, we've been looking at prophecies of the coming Messiah. Prophecies written at different time periods by different individuals and focusing on different aspects of the coming Messiah. 2 Samuel 7, he'll be a descendant of David. Psalm 22, the great crucifixion psalm. Psalm 110, he'll sit at the right hand of God and be a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Isaiah 53, he'll die for our sins. Daniel 2, his kingdom will last forever. And then Jeremiah 31, and he'll bring a new covenant, and it'll be different than the old covenant, because in this one, God will forgive your, your sins once and for all. And then last week, we looked at Malachi 3 and 4, the last book of our Old Testament. And the last two chapters not only predict the coming of the Messiah and the fact that he would come also in judgment, but the fact that there would be a forerunner that we know today as John the Baptist. Now, the first lesson we get from our text in Luke continues this series as we look at all, as we look at all of these fulfilled prophecies. I don't know if you've ever struggled in your faith, especially in regards to the Bible. I know a lot of people do. There's a lot of people who, as they get older, young people who begin to ask questions, is this book real or is it just simply a book full of fables and fairy tales? And for anyone who is questioning whether or not you can trust the Bible, I would simply invite them to look at the prophecies. Prophecies from David, 1000 B.C. Prophecies from Isaiah, 800 B.C. From Daniel and Jeremiah, 600 B.C. From Malachi in 475 B.C. And yet, different prophecies at different times from different parts of the world. And yet, all pointing to the same event. The event we're looking at today in Luke chapter 1. You know, when you turn over to Matthew, Matthew picks up and specifically mentions the fact that these are fulfillments. You know, we have four Gospels. The first one, very likely, was the Gospel of Mark. Most scholars believe that. And the early church called Mark's Gospel Peter's Memoirs. You see, Mark was a companion of Peter. And most people believe that what he did was either right before or right after Nero executed Peter, Mark, through the inspiration of the Spirit, wrote down his memories. Well, that gospel becomes kind of the foundational gospel of the four gospels. Matthew and Luke come along. They take Mark's gospel and they expand it. Now, they expand it for different audiences. Matthew takes it, and from 16 chapters, he writes 28 chapters. And he writes specifically to Jewish Christians. And because they're Jews, he wants to strengthen their faith. And so he constantly says things like he does here in Matthew 1, verse 10, right out the gate. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet 
And then he quotes from Isaiah 7.14. The virgin will conceive, give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And from chapter 1 on, you'll see Matthew over and over again saying, this happened that it might be fulfilled. I love this particular text. It's one of the interesting things about Matthew's gospel. He calls Jesus Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Well, that's in Matthew 1. When you go to Matthew 28 to the last verse, verse 20, Jesus goes back and picks up this very thought. And he says, surely I will be with you always. God with us at the beginning. God with us at the end. Luke, however, writes a very different uh, approach to his gospel. Luke doesn't focus on the fulfillment of Hebrew scripture. Now you say, why? Well, the answer is he's not writing to Jews. He's writing to Gentiles, specifically to a man named Theophilus. Now, writing to Gentiles, you see, Gentiles didn't have the Old Testament text. They didn't have Genesis through Deuteronomy or the prophets Isaiah and Daniel. These were Jewish scriptures. And so to say that this fulfilled Isaiah to a Gentile would have caused him to throw up his hands and says, who in the world was Isaiah? And so Luke doesn't talk about particular passages being fulfilled in his gospel. And yet, if you're familiar with the Old Testament prophecies, you can't help but watch them as they pop off of the text. Notice the very first text in our uh, uh, paragraph uh, for today's study. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin place to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. One of the things I love about Luke and his gospel is he is very precise in placing things in both time and location. Now, if you would have read the opening verses of Luke, you would be familiar with Elizabeth. Elizabeth is Mary's cousin. She's married to a man by the name of Zechariah, and they're a good bit older than Mary. I don't know if they were first cousins, second cousins. I don't know the type of relationship they had, but they were relatives. But Elizabeth and Zechariah never had any children, and they were well past childbearing age. Zechariah was a priest. He was from the family of Aaron and of the tribe of Levi. And one day he was in the temple burning incense to God when all at once he noticed someone beside him, and no one was supposed to be there. He was supposed to be by himself. But it wasn't a person. It was Gabriel, the angel of God. And he informed Zechariah that he and Elizabeth would have a son, and his name would be John, and he would be the forerunner of the Lord's Messiah in fulfillment of Malachi chapters 3 and 4. Zechariah didn't believe him. And because of that, Gabriel made it so that he couldn't speak until after the pregnancy was over. Over nine months, he couldn't talk. And then finally, when they asked him, why in the world do you want to name him John? He wrote, his name is John, and his tongue was loosed, and he could talk. And so a little background to our text. Now, notice God sent the angel Gabriel. Now, most of us are familiar with Gabriel because of Christmas time. This is a story that is read or acted out oftentimes around Christmas. 
But in the first century, if you'd been reading this text and you were familiar with the Bible, you would have stopped when you saw the name Gabriel. You see, Gabriel is one of two angels mentioned in the Bible. And Gabriel is the only one named in the Old Testament. Now, when I say mentioned, I mean named. There's a lot of angels that are mentioned in the Bible, but only two are called by name. Gabriel in the Old Testament and the New Testament, Michael in the New Testament in the little book of Jude, he being one of the archangels. Now, why is Gabriel so important? Because you see, it, Gabriel goes back to one of those prophecies we've looked at earlier. You see, Gabriel is mentioned in the book of Daniel. Daniel, of course, is serving Nebuchadnezzar. In his little book, you have him interpreting dreams, him having visions. And Gabriel shows up in one of his visions. Notice Daniel 8. And I heard a man's voice from the Uli calling, Gabriel, tell this man the meaning of the vision. As he came near the place where I was standing, I was terrified and fell prostrate. Every time an angel appears, people are afraid. What's interesting is, we'll see here in a moment, that the first thing Gabriel says to Mary is, don't be afraid. You see, she must have been incredibly nervous when Gabriel appeared. Son of man, he said to me, understand that the vision concerns the time of the end. You see, Daniel is the one in Daniel 2, 44, that talks about how that after the Babylonian Empire would come the Medo-Persian Empire, then the Greek Empire, and then during the days of the Fourth Kingdom, the Roman Empire, God would set up a kingdom that would never end. And so the mere mention of the name Gabriel would have caused you to go back. Daniel 9, 24, Gabriel says to Daniel, 77s are decreed for your people in your holy city. And after that period of time, about 500 years, God's going to put an end to sin. He's going to atone for wickedness. He's going to bring in everlasting righteousness. And Luke chapter 1 is the beginning of that fulfillment. Notice what he says to her in the text that we've already looked at. You will conceive, and you're going to give birth to a son, and you're going to call his name Jesus. Jesus is the Greek name. The name in Hebrew is Yeshua. We pronounce it Joshua. But it literally means Yahweh's salvation. And that's exactly what Jesus is. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. You see, what's fascinating about this text is how many prophecies are being fulfilled in this very short passage. He'll be called the Son of the Most High. You turn over to Psalm 2, and God pronounces the Messiah as His Son. We didn't look at that text, but that's one of the prophecies. He'll give to Him the throne of His father David, the 2 Samuel chapter 7 text. And he'll reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. That comes from both Psalm 110, 1 and following, and Daniel 2.44. Over and over again in the New Testament, we find, whether it's Matthew's Gospel, Mark, Luke, or even John, we find Jesus fulfilling Old Testament text. In fact, he will in Luke's Gospel. 
explained to two men on the road to, to Emmaus how that it was necessary for all, everything written about the Messiah to come true. And then with the apostles upstairs, he explains to them the same thing. So the first lesson we get from, from this text in Luke chapter 1 is this profound strengthening of our faith because of God's fulfillment of his promises. The second thing is found in verse 28. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. The second thing that jumps out of it, at us is this sovereign grace of God that takes place in Mary's life. You who are highly favored. God's sovereign grace is important if you're going to understand the story of the Bible. And what is meant by that is that God has a plan. A plan that was established before the beginning of time itself. And in that plan, God chooses individuals, men, women, old, young. He chooses individuals to be a part of his story. Now, he does that out of his sovereign grace. When we began our series back the first of the year, one of our first passages was Genesis 12, one and following, where God chooses Abram in order to bring the Messiah through his descendants. Now, here's the question. Why Abram? We don't know. It's God's sovereign grace. You know, Isaac and Rebekah will have twins, and, and their names are Esau and Jacob. And God chooses the younger, the secondborn, Jacob, to have the line come through him. Why not Esau? It was God's choice. Jacob would have 12 sons, but Judah would be the one that the Messiah would come through. And then, of course, we come to Mary. And God says, you know what? You're the one. I like what Paul said in Romans chapter 9. Therefore, God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy, and he hardens whom he wants to harden. God works through our lives, both our strengths as well as our weaknesses, sometimes even our sinfulness, to accomplish his purposes. Now, you may be saying, Leslie, how do I know if, if God has been at work specifically in my life? A lot of times we can't know. You know, oftentimes it's kind of hindsight, 2020 vision. Uh, but God in his sovereign grace, comes to Mary and chooses her. The text says Mary was greatly troubled at his words. And that word greatly troubled means that, you know, she's scared. She's nervous. Uh, she's wondering what in the world is going on and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. He can see the fear in her eyes and, and perhaps the way she's just kind of standing there. You have found favor with God. God has chosen you. What a remarkable story. You know, Mary at this time would have been maybe 14, 15 years old. In ancient uh, Judah, uh, parents would come together and would arrange for the marriage between their children. And so sometime over the last few months, Mary's parents had gotten with Joseph's parents and they had arranged for the marriage of their two children. And so they would go through about a year-long betrothal. And so there was some time in this year-long betrothal when Gabriel shows up and says, Mary, you're the one. God has chosen you. Now, this is going to cause Mary to ask some very serious questions. 
You'll conceive, you'll give birth to a son. They'll call him Jesus. He'll be great, be called the son of the most high, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. And Mary's response is, how can this be? I'm still a virgin. Now, again, if you know Matthew's gospel, you know that Matthew's going to jump over and take Isaiah 7.14 and quote it. Luke doesn't do it. But if you're familiar with it, you can't help but see it. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. And so you have this, again, fulfillment in the fact that she is a virgin. And then Gabriel explains how this will happen. The Holy Spirit will come on you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. You see, God had predicted that He would come. That was one of the predictions there in Malachi chapter 3. We looked at last week. You know, He's going to see a forerunner before God says, I come. And of course, John would tell us that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And now He takes on human flesh. And he does that through the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, Joseph won't be involved physically in the process because this will be God's son. And the power of the Most High will overshadow her. He then goes on and says, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And, he, and she, who is said to be unable to conceive, is in her sixth month. In other words, Mary, God has the power to do this. Your cousin Elizabeth, she's pregnant in her old age. You can be pregnant even though you're a virgin. For no word from God will ever fail. And let me remind us how true that is. You know, we're living in an incredibly difficult time. Uh, cases are going up. Hospitals are again filling up. We're asking ourselves, have we reopened too fast? You know, what should we be doing right now? How do we safeguard ourselves? Can I just remind you that God is still on his throne and his promises are still sure. We can count on that when it's hard to count on much of anything else. Jesus would put it this way in Matthew 24, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words can go to the bank with them. They'll never pass away. I love Mary's response to Gabriel's answer to her question. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Now, you have to appreciate what that meant. You see, when she learned that Elizabeth was pregnant, she left Nazareth and traveled down to Judea to Elizabeth's and Zachariah's house. She stayed there for three months. Now, after John was born, she traveled back up to Nazareth. But when she gets there, she's now over three months, four months pregnant. And Joseph notices. You see, Matthew tells us that story. And of course, the first thing that goes through Joseph's head is, she's been unfaithful to me. And Matthew tells us that he began to prepare to divorce her quietly. 
And then an angel of the Lord appeared, whether it was Gabriel or some other angel, we don't know. But an angel of the Lord appeared and told Joseph not to be afraid to take Mary and his wife, because what was conceived in her was conceived of the Holy Spirit. Now, while Joseph and Mary went ahead and got married, you know the people in the little village of Nazareth had to have talked. Either Joseph and Mary had been intimate before their marriage, or Mary had been intimate with someone else, and Joseph was taking her anyway. And of course, both of those things were not true. But how can you convince people in a village that this was the work of God? And yet Mary's response was simple. May your word to me be fulfilled. I love that servant spirit of Mary. And if there's anything that the Hendersonville Church needs to be the people that God wants us to be, is to have the same attitude that Mary had. Now, why did God choose her? I think later on when she goes down to see Elizabeth, this is, I've got verse 38, but it's actually 46 through verse 49. Notice what Mary says here. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. I think it was that humility that caused God to pick this little girl way up in Galilee. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. And here we are 2,000 years later. And guess who we're talking about? We're talking about Mary. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. In other words, Mary said, it's not my doing. I'm just going to simply be the servant God has called me to be because God will work through me to accomplish his purposes. And isn't that true of all of us? We need to be simply humble servants of God, allowing him to work in us here in Hendersonville to accomplish his purposes. You know, the church is made up of a lot of people. And I think sometimes we think that, you know, the preacher, the song leader, the elders, those who teach Sunday school, you know, they're, they're the important people at church. And yet those of us who serve in those roles, yes, we're trying to honor God by doing what we feel like we're called to do. But can I tell you who my real heroes are? One of my favorite passages is Psalm 84, verse 10. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. I want to call your attention especially to this phrase. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God. You know, ever since coming to Hendersonville, one of the things that always amazed me is that how many people show up early every Sunday, takes a name tag, and then takes a position at the many doors we have here at Hendersonville. And they're there to be a doorkeeper in the house of God, to welcome people, to say, we're glad you're here. They're the people that are on the front lines that give that first impression. And I just want to say to all of you who fulfill that role, thank you. You're the heroes of this church. Those of you who serve in so many different ways in this church, you may never be up front in the auditorium on a Sunday morning, but you're what makes this church work. And I just want to say to all of you, thank you, and God bless you. And this week, let me just simply say this. You know, the name Jesus means Yahweh saves. And so let me ask a simple question. Has he saved you? 
If not, what are you waiting for? If I can assist, if the elders can assist, just give us a call. We would love to talk to you about the one named Jesus. Listen, I look forward to seeing you next week, whether in person or online. And may God bless you this week in his service.